to another episode of Cinepub, a podcast where I get to BS for a bit about movies and booze just because I can. Tonight, I'm going to briefly discuss some of the things that I've been watching, describe tonight's beer choice, and then transition into a discussion of the featured movie. Tonight, since this is episode 10 of Cinepub and we are right on the cusp of this movie's 10th anniversary, I'm going to be discussing Christopher Nolan's blockbuster mindbender, Inception. So, to start off with some of the things that I've been watching, on a recent episode I'd alluded to something that I had watched but I couldn't discuss yet, and that was Natalie Erica James' debut feature, Relic. Not to be confused with The Relic, an underappreciated creature feature from the 90s, Relic is actually the story of three generations of women as they're fighting something we all fear, age. Emily Mortimer stars as Kay as she and her daughter Sam, played by Bella Heathcote, return to Kay's childhood home after her mother Edna, played by Robin Nevin, goes missing. Shortly after they arrive there, there are signs of mental illness all over the house in the form of post-it notes reminding Edna of mundane tasks such as turning off her water, uh, all the way to ominous warnings like don't follow it. When Edna returns suddenly with no knowledge of where she'd been, Kay and Sam stick around and can't shake the idea that Edna is slowly being consumed by a sinister entity. The movie, perhaps not very subtle, is clearly using Edna's creeping dementia as a metaphor for the supernatural. It's an unseen force that each of our leads is trying to simultaneously fight and come to terms with. It's shown in the form of the occasional shadow lingering in the background, but also the mysterious bruises growing on Edna's body. Still, the house itself uh, is built to be a beacon of the illness at play and ripples into both Kay and Sam. The house morphs and the hallways are never as they seem, as the doors, uh, and dead end, doors and dead ends sprout spontaneously, causing characters to question their sanity and is an extension of Edna's mind, but also the supernatural element of mental illness. The sound design uh, is the MVP here, and it causes the house to creak like the inside of an old wooden ship at sea bursting at the seams, threatening to collapse and consume the characters at any moment. James, uh, the director, proves herself adept at creating unbearable tension and dread as the film crescendos to a breathless finale that is sure to shake many. Though I love this film, the pace is incredibly slow, and I could have used more of the film's uh, film's finale and horror dispersed throughout. It's worth noting also that fans of Ari Aster, in particular his work with Hereditary, will, or should, fall in love with what James has crafted here. It's on VOD right now and well worth your time. Next, I, or uh, as well as most of the world, logged into my Disney Plus account to check out the world phenomenon, Hamilton. Unlike most, I hadn't listened to or caught even a second of this prior to firing it up on the streaming service. Additionally, I'm not really a fan of musicals, So I went in curious uh, of all the praise surrounding it, which, as we all know, the hype machine sometimes tends to fuel a bit of resentment if the title doesn't live up to said hype. 
right off the bat, I have to be honest and say I wavered early on uh, as to if I was going to be able to summon the will to continue, as I said, musicals, particularly those approximately 100% of the plot, where the uh, approximately 100% of the plot is told through song aren't really my thing, which makes following the storytelling a bit of a struggle to follow early on. I'll admit that this is a fault of my own, bringing in a predisposition to harshly judge a style that's not typically my bread and butter. However, the further in I got, the easier it began to latch on to the style, uh, though the lyrical style sometimes caused a bit of a disconnect to the storytelling at times. I found the energy to be incredibly infectious, which propelled my viewing forward, and there were a lot of the songs I felt myself tapping to and even wording some of the lyrics while watching. I came to be particularly drawn to wait for it uh, and rewound multiple times, getting goosebumps each time, uh, and a large part of it uh, being Leslie Odom Jr.'s energetic performance. All in all, I can't say that Hamilton turned me around on musicals, but I joined the multitude of fans out there saying that this is a pretty spectacular achievement in theater as it is jaw-dropping at times watching the skill and ingenuity of it all play out. I am doubtful that I'd find myself watching beginning to end uh, uninterrupted again, but I, uh, I do look forward to uh, finding my favorite uh, stretches and watching them again from time to time. That, I think, is going to be it for what I've been watching, and now on to what I'm drinking. I went back and forth with a few different ways to tie a beer into this, it being episode 10, talking about a movie celebrating its 10th anniversary, I thought, what about a beer at 10% ABV? Then I thought about how I consider myself to be something of a Nolan fanboy, so what's a local brewery I consider myself a fanboy of? Then I thought about how Inception is a bit of a, a, bit of a go-to quote-unquote junk food movie for me. Uh, something I can reach for at any moment and feel incredibly satisfied by. So I settled on a combination of the three. What I've got here is a beer from White Elm Brewing Company, who specializes locally in the art of junk food beers. I had their Rocky Road Milk Stout on the Jaws episode, where I referenced two other massively sweet beers that they make that I am a fan of. Uh, double Stuffed, and Fluffaluffagus. Tonight, I am drinking their latest concoction, Fluffer Nuttergus, which takes the base of Fluffaluffagus, an imperial stout brewed with marshmallow, and adds in a healthy dose of peanut butter. And at 12.5% ABV, I think that I've got that 10% ABV uh, covered and more. So some of the notes I have on this is that it it looks and smells and tastes it's sticky sweet. It's milky looking. There's not a lot of head retention, but what is actually there is a very dark brown, dark tan. However you want to look at this, if you swirl the glass, you can see the peanut butter oil kind of sliding around, and, and as I agitate it, it barely causes any foam to rise. At 12.5% ABV, 
this beer hides the booze better than you might think. It's there, but it's smooth. It's a smooth and decadent ride. Plus, the peanut butter just adds another layer to the already pretty outstanding marshmallow stout base that is fluff fluffigous. It could have a tad more body, but all in all, for what this beer is trying to pull off, it's kind of remarkable. I don't think that um, the marshmallow comes through as much with the addition of the peanut butter. Uh, I, you do get some of the vanilla, but with the addition of the peanut butter kind of overpowers the marshmallow a little bit, even though it, I would say that they, the two flavors meld together very well in this beer. Okay, now that I have got a serviceable amount of sweet booze in me, I think it's time to get into my discussion of Christopher Nolan's Inception. What's the most resilient parasite? An idea. A single idea from the human mind can build cities. That was from the trailer of Inception, which was released on July 16th, 20 of 2010, grossing over $800 million on a budget of $160 million. This is not your typical blockbuster, given how complicated the plot gets, though I think Nolan does a fantastic job of doling out information to the audience, even if it does get a little too explainy at times. And I think it's fairly remarkable that a movie like this, which is just around two and a half hours long, performed as well as it did, though this was also released before the Marvel Cinematic Universe had really dug in its heels. Inception follows the exploits of an accomplished dream thief, Dom Cobb, played by Leonardo DiCaprio, who is the guy when it comes to utilizing the art of shared dreaming, a technique developed by the military to train soldiers. In the world Nolan has constructed, of course people took that ability and found a way to monetize it, specifically for use in corporate espionage, <clears throat> which is something of Cobb's speci specialty. He and his right-hand man, Arthur, played by Joseph Gordon-Levitt, take on jobs hiring people to fill out their team and subtly enter their marks dream to extract corporate strategies and secrets for for their employer when their most recent job goes south they're sought out by that mark to pull off something a little different than extracting information 
Saito, played by Ken Watanabe, and I'm I apologize if I butchered that, offers Cobb the chance to escape his charges back home, but we'll get to those specifically. And if he, if he can perform Inception, the process of planting an idea in the subject's mind and allowing it to grow naturally so that they bring that idea into their reality and act upon it. Cobb, of course, has had experience with Inception before, which stems from his tragic past, his deceased wife, Maul, played by Marion Cotillard, Cotillard, I apologize again, who, as far as the U.S., is concerned was killed by Cobb and so he's been on the run ever since trying to buy his way back home. None of that really seems as complicated as I'm letting on I'm sure but where things get complicated is when you start dissecting the internal logic of the movie and how time works within the dreams. I've watched this movie dozens upon dozens of times and I'll say that I grow an appreciation for the storytelling more and more each time. But as I said, I'm kind of a Nolan fanboy, and at the time Inception was released, I'm fairly certain I'm quoted somewhere on the internet in a review online calling this his masterpiece. I've said it before that I don't believe there is a perfect mo- perfect movie, but this is as perfect as it comes for me. And Jaws, of course. It has so much of the stuff that I just go crazy for that I can't help but get giddy whenever I sit down to have, sit down and watch, and I remain that way for the entirety of the movie. I won't sit here and try to explain every aspect of the rules here because I'll probably just embarrass myself. Nolan's love of classic film is on display early and often here, but I feel like that's something I never really picked up on till some of my most recent watch sessions. More than anything, though, I keep finding myself more and more taken with all of the practical work Nolan puts in his movies and all of the technical aspects. The sets are so lavish and cinematic, and he's got complete control over the composition of each scene. Early on, when Cobb and his team are in the middle of a job trying to get information from Saito, Cobb is given a kick, a means of waking from waking someone from one of the various dream levels. His sleeping self is dunked into a tub full of water, and in the dream, the sound becomes muted as though you're underwater, and begins spewing water begins spewing forth from every which way. The lead-up and execution of that moment gives me goosebumps every single time. What complements all the intricate action sequences is the pulse-pounding score. It's become a bit of a joke at this point, and you can hear it in that trailer, but Hans Zimmer's big blah sounds are accounted for and accent the score during all of the big set pieces. Those aren't the only cliches on display, as even Nolan's script has all the keys of eye-rolling aspects of big action blockbusters like this, up to and including the this one last job, the one that fixes everything. It's very easy to sit back and nitpick certain aspects of this, and God knows I've done it myself once I get going talking about this with people, and 
I don't dispute any of the issues people seem to have with the movie. Quite simply, all I can do is just sit back in my chair, look you in the eyes and say, I don't know, it just works for me. Though if I need any more reason to sell anyone on this decade-old movie, and if you haven't seen it yet, I, I, I don't even know what to say, or if I just need to point out one more thing that I love so much about it, it's the shifting gravity action sequence involving Joseph Gordon-Levitt's character right in the middle of the movie, which is just so jaw-dropping in its technical achievement that I often find myself reaching for the movie just to watch that scene over and over because the score and the choreography are all just perfect. Emotionally, the arc of the film rests on Cobb getting back to his kids, something that plays even better for me now as a dad myself, but his interactions with Marianne Cotillard become increasingly charged emotionally. Though Maul is a terrifying presence in the film's first hour, you grow to see the effect of what Cobb did to her and the resonance that that has is a, is, it's powerful. And you realize that Cobb has a reason to be regretful and that he's not the moral epicenter you're trying to cling to in this movie. And dodging spoilers that his choices are in fact flawed, but flawed as we are, like Cobb says, we all yearn for uh, catharsis, and I think Nolan gets there in the end. Christopher Nolan always does a great job at putting together a stellar cast, though at times there are a few who end up being a little wooden. I think Inception, in particular, is the exception, as I don't think any one actor in particular fails to sell this movie. Granted, a lot of the characters are in charge of info dumping to keep the audience on board with what's going on. All in all, even in despite of my, all of my minor nitpicks, I come up with the ultimately, I don't care. I love this movie to my very core every single time I watch it. And before I wrap up, I wanted to try something a little different that I was thinking of making a special segment for when I have time to prepare it. And I actually didn't really prepare it this time, so I'm just kind of flying by the seat of my pants. Um, I'm, I'm workshopping it a little bit, but I think I want to call this the pint and pitch. Uh, and it's going to be a segment where when I'm getting ready to wrap up, I'm going to pour myself a pint, down it, and either take something related to this movie and pitch a movie based off of it or pitch a sequel that only some drunk dude at a bar could. And since I'm obviously in someone else's dream and I would never have dreamt this up for myself, I'm pouring Bushlight Apple which has slowly been rolling out and selling out around every liquor store in the city. I don't know why, but I can tell you I've had a few of these, and while I don't hate it, this is not something I can picture myself buying again for any reason other than the novelty of it, and I only did it this time out of morbid curiosity. I've got a couple of cans here to fill my pint glass. But basically, this tastes like you might expect a bush light with some sweet apple cider mixed in with it to taste like. A big punch of apple right off the bat, 
and then it fades into that same old American adjunct lager, which more or less, for me at this point, tastes like water. So I'm going to go ahead and finish this up, and we're going to get into uh, my pseudo-sequel or whatever for Inception. Okay. For Inception, I can't fathom what a sequel would really look like, though I remember reading rumors that people thought Tenet was a sequel for Inception. I don't know about that, but I am uh, really looking forward to Tenet. I don't think anybody, um, there's a lot of people who aren't looking forward to that. So I'm going to morph this a little bit. I want to see Nolan do a straight-up horror movie in a way that only Nolan can. And you know what? I I want it to be linked to I want it to be linked to Inception. And I want it to be a reboot or semi-sequel of sorts. What the hell am I talking about? You might be saying. I'm saying I want Nolan to bridge Inception with the Nightmare on Elm Street franchise. You heard that right. I'm picturing somehow, somewhere, someone up to no good has gotten a hold of this whole shared dreaming concept of technology. Hell, maybe it's someone from the Nightmare on Elm Street canon who says this is how we hunt down and kill Freddy. But anyway, someone accidentally conjures up old Freddy in these dream states and Freddy is beside himself with all these people ripe for the picking entering these dream states where they can take they can they can't wake up for hours days weeks within the dream this is of course when they're under heavy station which i didn't cover in the plot of the whole movie itself but that's one of the complicated things one it could make for some hella cool dream sequences and two it would be nolan taking on freddy we might even get to see tom hardy don the striped sweater and glove who knows Plus, imagine how populated Limbo would be if Freddy was stomping around killing everyone in their ultra-medicated dream state. So yeah, there you go. That's my first pint and pitch. Short and sweet. I'd like to tell you it'll get more refined over time, but I'm not in the habit of lying to people. Also, I think that's just going to go ahead and bring us to the end of this episode of Cinepub. I could go on and on about my love for Inception, but I've found short and sweet bursts for these episodes is kind of my sweet spot. As especially in quarantine, one can only talk to themselves for so long before you start to feel a little weird and crazy. That and listening to one person blather on for too long starts to feel a little indulgent. As always, though, I want to thank everyone, anyone who might be listening for tuning in. If you have any feedback for the show, please reach out to me via email at cinepubpod at gmail.com. And you can follow the podcast on Twitter and Instagram with the username cinepubpod, where I like to try to tease what I might be talking about next. Not really even tease. Sometimes I just tell you what I'm going to be covering next. Until next time, guys and gals, uh, have a great night. Cheers. Cheers.